The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Well, hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to series two, episode. I was going to start episode one, but I've decided we're just going to keep going on 101. We are now series two, but episode 101. Um, I'm Elaine. It is so great to be back with you all. Um, we've missed you. Have you missed us? So we are back, and we are back with a bang. Today's episode is just brilliant and one that I have been looking forward to for quite a while. Um, We have Australian filmmaker Gracie Otto and Australian producer Cody Greenwood discussing their new documentary film Under the Volcano, Um, which if you haven't seen it, I absolutely encourage all of you to see it. It is a really beautifully made film um, about the Air Studios in uh, Montserrat, um, but what Cody and Gracie have managed to do is create something really uh, human and engaging and it's not just about the bands and the music that were made there, it's about the island, it's about the beauty, it's about music and what music can do for our, for us, for our lives, for our mental health for each other um, and that connection that we create, it really, and I honestly believe, and I say this in the interview, but I honestly believe that it's such a beautiful documentary that I don't think it could have been made the same way if it wasn't made by an all-female creative team. So I encourage all of you to um, watch it. It is available on Amazon Prime, Google, Apple. Um, the link to get it all is in the description of this episode. We also discuss all their other projects and how they both came into the industry. Um, so I'm really looking forward to everybody hearing it. Um, it is just me. Uh, Louise is super busy. As always, you can check out what we've been up to. Um, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you will know that we have been doing some much needed work in our industry about uh, the abuse of power well that still continues behind the scenes we're still in many discussions and those discussions are ongoing and uh, the work is happening believe us the work is happening and uh, we will continue that fight for all of us for the betterment of our industry and let's hope this is the change that we have all been waiting for fingers crossed you can follow us on all social media. Let's see if I can remember um, our Twitter handle and not add the and. You know what I'm like. And now I've said it, I definitely will. So you can follow us on all social media. <laughs> Twitter, at Persistent Nasty. Nailed it. Instagram, at Persistent and Nasty. Facebook, Persistent and Nasty. And you can always send us a note. A wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. You, of course, can follow myself and Louise as well. Um, I am Elaine.Stirrit on Instagram and at Elaine Stirrit on Twitter. And Louise is Ms. Louise Oliver 
on Twitter and the exact same on Instagram. So come on over, enjoy. Enjoy my quality content. It's not quality content. It's mainly just me sharing, not pictures of food, sharing pictures of uh, the wonderful humans in my life, which is nice. We all need a little break. The world, as we know, is uh, on fire, literally. So when you need a little break, come on over. Um, (laughs) For all of you who have supported us and continue to do so, we are so grateful and... um, thank you so much and if you wish to check us the price of a cup of coffee the link to our paypal is in the description of this episode i think that's enough of me rambling on for our first episode back i suggest oh i suggest some rum as it is discussed during the episode or you know a wee glass of wine beer or as always just a good old cup of tea. Anyway, it's so great to be back. So you sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome to another Persistent and Nasty episode. This is our first episode back after our little break and I am super excited to have director Gracie Otto and producer Cody Greenwood with me. Welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Thank, Thank you for having us, especially with that accent. This is so great. I love how in sync you both were as well there with the thank you that never happens on Zoom. Um, so Cody and Gracie are joining us from Oz and um, we're going to chat about their new documentary, Under the Volcano. But before we do that, let's have a little potted history um, about both of you. So uh, Cody, let's start with you. Sure. So I am a documentary producer based down in Australia, currently in Western Australia. Um, I run a production company down here called Rush Films and, um, you know, do sort of a range of documentaries about all subject matter, music documentaries, social, cultural. And I came across Gracie a couple of years ago um, and thought that she'd be the perfect director for this crazy story that I had uh, about a recording studio on the Caribbean. So I've sort of spent the past few years working on that film, Under the Volcano, and a mix of other fun stuff. Um, and yeah, the film's now about to come out. Yeah, my name's Gracie Otto, and I'm a director from Sydney. I've kind of, it's my, yeah, this is my second feature documentary, um, and I work across TV. I've just finished my first feature film, short films, um, TVCs, and fashion films. So I try to just dip my toe in every form of directing possible and yeah under the volcano is the latest thing to come out I mean that's it we've got to cover all the bases when we're when we're creatives otherwise you know it's like gives it all and so what inspired under the volcano Cody um it came about because my mum was an artist living in the Caribbean in the 80s and she went to this tiny island called Montserrat which is just off the coast of Antigua and fell in love with the place and the people um and just as she was down there um beginning her career as an artist the Beatles producer Sir George Martin happened to be down there at the same time and thought that it would make an amazing place for a recording studio so I had always grown up knowing about the studio and about the history of the studio um never thought to make a film about it because i think sometimes when you're so close to something 
you just, you know, it's, it's sort of like the obvious choice. And then um, one of the guys who worked at the studio was in Australia and I had dinner with him and I said, you know, has anyone ever made a documentary about this? He was like, people have tried, but nobody has been successful. And um, that kind of kick-started the whole process. And I think that was about four years ago now. Okay. Four years ago. I love that nobody has tried, yet you have and done it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They haven't been successful, but yeah. Um, and then Gracie obviously got involved. And then, I mean, it's really, obviously don't want to give too much away about the documentary because people can find, watch it for themselves. But it's really beautiful. Like, I think what I found watching it was what I really loved that you've both done is interweave the stories of the island and the people in the island and all these really famous people from music um, and I think it gives it such a, a heart that a lot of documentaries don't have that they just you know it would have been so easy just to focus on all the famous people that were in it um, I think you lose something with that like I'm like I want to go to Montserrat now like it's now yeah like, I mean I think Cody always wanted to have um, the locals um, who worked in the studio and people around the island in the film because, you know, and Cody can speak more about that and spent time down there as a kid. Um, so I think, yeah, it's great because it really, you know, to, to show a whole kind of 360 of the place, it's great to have, yeah, the people who worked on the albums, like the record producers and the artists themselves, the people who built it, the people who worked at the studio. So it really kind of gives them a bit of a, yeah, getting it from every angle. Yeah, I really, I find that really great. And I think, you know, it's really funny as um, an intersectional feminist podcast, I was kind of watching it and I was like, it was so interesting for me. I kind of finished watching it and I was talking to my husband and I was like, oh, it was really great. You'd really love it, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was like all the women that were standing out. So like Rose, the um, radio DJ, I was like, oh God, I was like, I really want to meet her. She's great. And um uh, Eve Robinson I was like this is so interesting but the men that really got me as well like um, I thought that I thought I'll tell you this story so Madure um, obviously from Ultravox um, he actually used to live in a house down the road from my gran and grandpa at one point in the 80s and it was like a really big deal because of this tiny little village in Scotland and they would wake up every morning there'd be like hundreds of people outside his house just like trying to get his attention so when Madure appeared on the documentary, I was like, ah, that's funny connection. No, he was so lovely. We interviewed him in Bath, is that right? Bath or something in, yep. in the UK. Yeah, and he just spoke also. There's always somebody you interview that just speaks so eloquently and answers every question how you kind of want them to answer it and can really give a whole structure of the place and you kind of go, that su he was such a key interview in that way. Um, and he also, Cody can probably speak more about it, had a, had a place down in the island as well. Yeah, I would love to know what Midge thinks of the final film. He's been really great. We've been in touch, but I haven't actually asked the question because when we interviewed him, um, as Gracie said, he gave all these great sound bites. And then at the end of the interview, we had photographs of what the studio looks like now because it's been sitting in the um, a volcanic exclusion zone, sort of rotting away over about 30 years. And... I said, oh, we'll show you photographs of the studio. And he said, I don't, I can't look at them. It will make me too upset um, because that was his home. That was totally destroyed. And we actually, when we were one day filming down near the volcano, we were walking around the area, which was Midge's house, which is now totally destroyed. So I can imagine for him, it would have been quite emotional. Yeah. I mean, that moment in the documentary 
when the volcanoes happens and you kind of hear the population of the island and then how many people lost their home like that really I could feel the tears coming when I was watching it with that bit um so I don't yeah I'm not surprised that Major is a bit like mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that because it's really eerie but really beautiful those images of the studio so I would yeah it, it was a yeah, it was amazing to film there as well. I mean, the whole, the pool's all green and the whole place is covered in vines. But um, it's interesting, the the Monster Ashen people themselves, you know, they have different feelings about the volcano. Rose, who's the radio host who's featured in the film, she has a really positive outlook on the destruction that's happened and said, you know, it's bringing new life to Montserrat. But it did ruin um, a lot of people's lives. And Montserrat is now, I think, about two-thirds of the island are off limits in the exclusion zone. So it totally changed the islands, the course of the island's history. Um, and there's definitely mixed emotions about that. Mm. Yeah. To quote, to quote Rolling Stone's mixed emotions <laughs> song that was recorded there. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so synchronicity. so what was the um, process for both of you in the film and how did that go because did you finish just filming this before like before covid yeah i mean we were there for like we went to the uk and then down to montserrat and then kind of over to america and back and forth a million times like before yeah in 2019 like so we did a lot in the first two months that we started and our editor karen johnson was editing kind of at the same time as we were sending stuff home and then um we went back and kind of got you know quite a strong assembly and there were still a few people that were missing and then we kind of did a few like crazy trips to london that you just wouldn't be able to do today and then yeah the last few interviews with elton's band they were in sydney um on tour at the time and then we were pretty close to getting elton and then the world changed and lucky we were in post we were like oh we can't go anywhere for four months we've got to finish the film and it's like well you're not going to go anywhere for two years (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know it's like uh, for both of you like how was your working relationship and i love that you've got a female editor as well come on women yeah i we um i wanted an all-female team on this because quickly i identified that we had a real lack of women on screen which i can i can go into but um from the get-go i was like we need an all-girl team and then we, you know gracie obviously came on board and she bought karen i think what happened because of COVID, um we were already working together really closely so gracie and i were co-writing in the edit together working really closely with karen who's an amazing um editor and brings a lot of experience in regards to story and then um that working relationship just got tighter and tighter and tighter because we had nothing else to do in the peak of COVID. so we'd be on zooms and and you know working all out i think gracie i think we probably watched the film 200 times during those last few months just tweaking every little bit because we had nothing else to do because you know COVID. um but i would say in my experience it was a really really close working relationship and it's probably set the foundations of how gracie and i will work together on future films i think we had a lot of fun yeah we definitely had the good hides of yeah going to montserrat and you know we had like low moments i think you know one of the hardest things is to try and organize a celebrity interview especially when there's 25 of them because it's just you're on their clock whenever they feel like doing it um so you know and it's also an expense to go away and sit like we sat for 10 days waiting for jimmy buffett to write back to an email and then you know he did and said i'll do it next week and that's like sitting 
in LA for three weeks every day, just, you know, waiting around and kind of going, well, if we leave now, then, you know, it's that, there's that thing when you're in the country and it's immediate because you're like, we're here shooting this thing, can you do it? Um, but then, of course, we did get back to Australia once and Martin Offler said he'd do an interview and we went back the next week to London. That was a pretty brutal flight <laughs> to go all the way back. But, you know, now you just unfortunately have to do it on Zoom. So it was so good to be able to, um, yeah, we probably looking back didn't realise it's always that thing when you're making a film. My first film, I'd always say to the head of post, like, is this film going to get finished? Because if it is, I'm having the time of my life, but I'm so stressed out right now that I don't know I'm having fun. So I think that's always a good mentality with it. And I feel like, yeah, Cody and I could go on an amazing race. Like, we just get things done so much quicker than most people in life that, um, yeah, there can be hours sitting around because we're just waiting. Yeah. I think that's something that probably people don't even realise really with documentary filmmaking is the time in between um because yeah we we would just sit around eating burgers watching this show called 60 days in like we we would just end up going completely insane in all corners of the world trying to look for these guys to <laughs> we really didn't go out like we went i hadn't even like been drinking because we were so busy in montserrat like working such long hours and then going to bed getting up doing sometimes we're doing two three interviews a day and doing that for like six days in a row um, which was, you know, and I'd just come off a TV show, so it was like trying to catch up on all the people and who we were interviewing and and all of that. And then we did have two weeks off in LA, and yeah, I just remember I went out and got a froze um, and got completely smashed. I'm not one of those people who gets smashed, and I was like trying to FaceTime like old movie actors that I knew were just being total idiot and obnoxious. And I was saying to Cody, I'm not one of those like drunks, but I just hadn't burnt the candle at both ends like in that way. So we then ended up having a, a good trip as well and a few nights out to balance you it off. have it. You need, well, I mean, you know, I say that. Um, if you listen to the podcast a little bit more, you'll find out there's many podcasts that we're doing where I'm slightly hungover. So, um, yeah, I say slightly, usually more than that. Um, you need to do it. It's really important. It's, you know, it's that it's that part of kind of letting off steam. I'm... Cody, I'd love to kind of pick what you pick up and what you said about the lack of women on screen a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, we, you know, when I was originally researching the documentary and putting together the list of albums, there was Annie Lennox was on there because she was down there with the tourists and Sheena Easton had recorded down there. Uh, and I think they were two the only thoughts, two. I was like, yes, come on. Yes. Let's go. And yeah. Sheena Easton, we reached out to and she couldn't do it. Wouldn't, wouldn't do an interview or go into that. It was, a, it was a bit of a money thing. And then um, and then with Annie Lennox, um, we just we were towards the end of the film and we just couldn't get her. The tourists weren't for us one of the big stories, but we really wanted that female voice. So it was we were kind of battling with the fact that this was a very male-dominated time in in the rec- recording history, and it was very dominated by bands. And what was sort of starting to happen at that time was the solo artists, the women were coming up through the ranks like Sheena Easton or, you know, Whitney Houston later on down the line, but they hadn't really, didn't have a prolific, um, weren't sort of prolific on the music scene. So it was just, it was one of those things where we were trying so hard to have the female, you know, voice in there, but people, we just couldn't find enough people that had been down to Montserrat. So for us, it was about, you know, assembling the team of all women. And I do think, because we were all women making this film and and also we weren't fascinated by, it wasn't a boys club film in the way, we didn't want to go into all the technical detail of guitar riffs. And for us, we were really interested in themes around, 
themes around like fertility, like the volcano being this sort of like fertile place that birth, you know, all this creativity. So I think the film naturally has a feminine touch to it, just based on the filmmaking team. Um, and yeah, we, I would have loved to have got more female voices in there, but we couldn't. Yeah, there were hardly any females that worked in the, you know, in as the with the record producers in the kind of room and stuff. And that's what, yeah. So it was like really tough in that way. Um, but it was, yeah, kind of representing what the time and the place was as well. And yeah, putting that under the microscope. So yeah, next doco, next doco. <laughs> I think it's really uh, important though, that that's kind of shown because there's times that we get so focused on the fact that, you know, where there's way more women in our industry across the board, whatever part of the arts you're in. So you're like, oh yeah, there's less, but there was a huge point where it actually was, and I mean, it is still very male dominated, but it was ridiculously male dominated. And I think there is something, and I would totally agree with you, Cody, it does have a feminine touch to the film. And I think there's probably because you had an all female team, there is a real um, openness that I don't know you would have got from the artists if it had been men. Yeah, Maybe yeah I really enjoy interviewing people when, yeah, they kind of would think one thing before the interview and then by the end be like, shit, they did their research. They knew a lot, like, <laughs> just to see their face. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of people who were very impressed by Gracie. Like we would get to do interviews. There's a um a sound mixing desk at Montserrat, which was a Neve console. I'm just it was like the only nerd thing that made it into the entire film because we refused to put all those nerd details in. But <laughs> this sound desk, if you talk to music lovers, they all just lose their minds over it. And Gracie pretty much became like a professional in the Neve. And so for the interview with somebody like Martin Offer from the Dire Straits. As soon as he sat down, Gracie started, you know, just really casually throwing out little things that she knew about the Neve, and you could just see his eyes light up, and he was so impressed. I actually really love that bit in the documentary, and I'm definitely not like, you know, I was like, oh, that looks really good. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it was crazy how they got it in there, and I mean, Dave and Malcolm, we built the studio, and just the logistics, like, you know, a lot of the stuff I loved was like how they'd get a fax saying, you know, Paul McCartney's coming. And, yeah, it was a time before, obviously, you know, emails and mobile phones and that kind of organisation. So already when we were on the island in 2019, um, you know, people would say, oh, if you're going to interview, you know, Minetta, she lives in the Yellow House in Happy Valley. And we'd be like, okay, what's the address? They're like, oh, it's the Yellow House, you know. You go, okay, I'll just go and find that Yellow House. And then you drive past and see Yellow House and she's like, hey, come in, come in. And. So it still already had that kind of, um, you know, one of the guys we called uh, Arrows um, who did Hot, 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 his brother Hero, who we interviewed. Um, when we finally got in touch with him, he had a mobile phone that was like this big. It was like the smallest phone. I've got a video of it I've ever seen. And I just was like, it had f like five numbers, like didn't even have like 10 digits of the numbers. And so I loved all the fact that it was so isolated down there. I mean, it still is, but just thinking about how you'd actually run a recording studio, how you'd get all the stuff for the stars when they're down there and all their needs and everything they want and then have, you know, this one chef who just every night, you know, is just going to cook for everyone, <laughs> cook for the whole town. And for all those people to just talk so highly about George Tappy Morgan, the chef, and what an incredible chef he was. I mean, we met him and he didn't cook us anything. That's all right. Agent. <laughs> Like, where's my food? 
Um, I also love um, Danny, the um, windsurfing coach, and I just like what an energy! Absolutely, love yeah, it. so fit, so fit, um, still so fit. Like when we just saw some of those, you know, windsurfing photos, and yeah, you're just like this guy knows what he's doing. But yeah, all the, I mean, all those people down there, and they had you know songs written about them or did backing vocals on some of the tracks. Just had that great, um, yeah, family environment that I think you know, Sir George was was really trying to capture and did with the studio. I think that really comes through as to why that's why it was clearly really a great studio for certain bands because obviously like Duran Duran talk about it is like slightly different for for them that experience of Montserrat but um I was really interested in um just that kind of community feel and like you know like the moment when you when somebody said about Elton John not getting invited to the pub and he was just the chicken shack yeah yeah he's like I love this and I think it's just you can totally feel that kind of bringing them back down to actually reality is something and it really comes through in the film. Um, yeah, you- it even had the same effect on us as like a crew, you know, we we're all being down there together. Everyone started going pretty stir crazy. Like I think it was the last night of the shoot where the sound recordist and the camera assistant absolutely lost their marbles down at this like little bar. We ended up going out and drinking bush rum on maybe that was like the second last night that was like the color of petrol and like, it just it still has yeah we went and recorded people. yeah we went and actually which we never ended up using but we recorded with the guy arrow's brother hero who did hot 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 we recorded the universal opening theme on steel drums which is like you know we're like if we just start the universal because we're so excited to have like universal like start the film because it's like you know it's like childhood stuff when you're like oh there's the logo it's a serious really? movie um but yeah we do maybe we've got to do that put it on instagram or something because it was oh, really cool you should you definitely should yeah. get, get that on the socials go 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 <laughs> moving away from this film but just kind of more on your career and how you started so like um cody how did you get into producing and kind of as a kind of female i mean i don't know what it's like in Oz. maybe it's really much more open and you know there's but like Kind of just if you can talk to that, that would be great. Yeah, documentary in Australia actually has got the uh, quite a high percentage of female producers, which is really great. The scripted is isn't as high, but I um I was producing TV commercials and got essentially poached by a producer who was doing documentaries. Um, and she just needed somebody to come work with her. So this is almost about I think about ten years ago or something now, and. The production company that um, hired me was doing documentaries for NITV, which is our Indigenous broadcaster here in Australia. They do amazing documentaries. And what I initially started working on was it was stories about um, everyday Indigenous Australians in the face of adversity. And it was first time Indigenous filmmakers, mostly women, um, and they were half an hour broadcast documentaries. And that was my introduction into filmmaking. And it's still probably the, my favourite films that I've ever worked on. I think we did about 15 um, of those. And then through that, I met amazing filmmakers that I still collaborate with today, um, which has been such a blessing. So I sort of started out doing that. And then around the time of Under the Volcano, I started my own company. Um, I'd been a little bit hesitant to start anything before that because I was learning so much under these amazing all women producers here in WA and then um, started Rush Films and then have sort of since that time 
been doing a mix. I mean, you know, there's Under the Volcano, which is a very commercial music doc. And I just finished um, an observational documentary, which is about a couple over six years going through a gender transition. So, so different from Under the Volcano. <laughs> um, and then working on feature films. I've just done a short called Sparkles, which was direct, um, written, sorry, and starring one with Down Syndrome. So most of my slate is um, working on generally diverse subject matter with female directors, but then, you know, hopefully doing some of these bigger commercial projects along the way, like Under the Volcano, because they're a lot of fun to make um, at the same time. Did you always want to be involved in the arts? Uh, yeah, well, I grew up with a family that was artists, much the same as Gracie, actually. We've, we've had similar upbringings with crazy, kooky parents who worked in the arts. Um, but my mum, before she was an artist, she was a documentary filmmaker. So um, it was just one of those things that was kind of second nature to me. But my, I always really loved like the financing side of producing. But Under the Volcano, I think, really made me fall in love with the creative and with writing, with all that kind of stuff that I actually didn't know that I could do up until that film. And I think that's kind of testament to having a director like Gracie say, you know, come into the creative circle and let's work on this together. And some directors can, you know, they've kind of got the way of doing things. So yeah, I think it's always been in my blood. I feel like I, I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Gracie, what about you? Was it always well said, Cody? Um, direct, uh, I started directing I mean, I started directing when I was like 17, really young. I went to Sydney Film School young. Um, I finished school. I just, I think my mum just sent me when I was like three or four to school because I was like, I'm ready. I like my bag packed. She's like, you start next year. And I was like, nah, I'd like to start today. Um, so I was just like always the youngest at school. But yeah, I went to Sydney Film School and, you know, I guess made some short films that did really well and just thought, well, I'll make a feature when I was like 19. And then, you know, started going to festivals and everyone's like, nah, like it's 10 years to make a film. So I was like, what is the quickest way to make a film? And I met Michael White and I was like, great, got access. Um, I'll just go out and shoot 60 interviews on my 5D, which is all these celebrities, because I've got access to them all. Um, and that was, you know, for me, a big labour of love. I'd done a few films as an actor. I'm not a really good actor. Obviously, my sister's a great actor and my dad's a great actor. Um, I can say that because they are like and I'm not but you know I just wanted to throw my hat in the ring and I enjoyed being on set but I was always way more interested in you know being at film school what the director was doing than the actor and then I did a film when I was like 19 and I was dating the director at the time and he was doing a play and yeah I was like oh it's so great to be in a relationship and then he just went and did a play and I was sitting in this hotel room like wait what do you mean you're working and I'm not and so I just got the hard drives and started editing the whole feature. And that was a Jackie Weaver. So I just edited my performance to be great because I knew I can look at myself very subjectively when I'm editing. And that went to Toronto and it won at London Film Festival and, you know, did great. Obviously, in retrospect, at all those festivals, you've got to have another project. People are like, what do you want to do? And it's like, I don't know. Um, and then I had, you know, every agent and whatever and all these big auditions and didn't book a job in three months. So I just thought, well, I must suck. So I gave up on acting. Um, recently I started doing comedy in LA and I actually think that the movie I did I was so good in it <laughs> because I played myself like I don't want to play like a junkie you know <laughs> single mom I don't want to play hard roles I can't do that like for me it's like you know an actor said once in an interview it's like I just love to be someone else and I'm like I actually really just like being myself um, but you know in directing I always kind of was inspired by 
you know, very visual directors and like deep storytellers. And I loved Wong Kar Wai or like David Lynch and got really inspired by all those people. But then there was an element where people were like, oh, you're really funny. Like, why don't you just direct comedy? Um, and then I came back and did a TV series here and have started doing kind of more comedy in that way. Um, but I really like working across every medium from, yeah, doco to fashion to like kind of just wearing different hats. And, you know, I think in Australia you can easily be pigeonholed into one thing. So it's like trying to get two runs on the board for each thing and then people can't say that you're not doing it. So now that I've done two feature docs, it's like, oh, she does docos, not just like one or like now I've done, you know. It wasn't a fluke. That's the plan. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a fluke. Say yes to everything. I wish I'd told myself that 10 years ago. I'd always be like, oh, I don't think I can do that because I think we're meant to be doing this film then and then it would fall over or get pushed back. And then I decided three years ago, I said, I'm just going to say yes to every single thing that gets offered to me. And I didn't stop working for two years. Yeah, now um, you're the busiest. I still have that motto. I know. <laughs> yeah, because it, it will all fall in line. Like even with Under the Volcano, we were going to start, it got pushed back like two months. I remember getting my first TV show, like six episodes. I was so excited and I was going to New York to shoot an ad and I got off the plane. I had six missed calls from Cody and it was a voice message being like, oh my God, you know, just close the finance. We can start on the doco. And I was like, no, yes, what? They can't be happening at the same time. And then they ended up happening. So I finished ADR one night, shot an ad the next night, got on the plane and did um, the volcano. So it was, um, Holy shit. yeah, hectic times, but Centauri times. Yeah. <laughs> No wonder you're finding lockdown hard if that is like at your normal pace. I mean, I don't mind having a month. Like the first month I was like, this is sweet. Like I haven't had a break for two years. Um, so I can like cook in my Thermomix, only eat twice a day because I don't really like food, go for a walk, play a bit of Tomb Raider on the Xbox, do a bunch of Zooms. But now I'm ready, you know, we're just waiting. I've got a few things coming up and things have been pushed back and yeah, trying to work out, yeah, what to do next. And, yeah, so Cody and I are trying to find another doco at the moment, you know, but unfortunately probably might, not unfortunately, but have to look a bit locally around at the moment just in terms of we couldn't make under the volcano now. So we're so lucky, really, that we got to do it. Yeah. I mean, it really is that kind of advert for pre-COVID um, and what you could do and what, you can, what we obviously can't do right now. Um, but hopefully... It's going to be all right. It's just it's better. It is my mantra. I'm like, oh. I can't watch Sweet Tooth. I watched one episode and I was like, this is too close to home right now. <laughs> Turned it off. See, I can't really watch. I've not really watched anything. And I think because we were in, a, I mean, Glasgow was one of the cities in the UK that was in the toughest restrictions for the longest period of time. So um, I'm just kind of like, oh, great, we're back to kind of normal, but I'm waiting on the bubble bursting again. So I'm not getting too excited, but it is lovely just to be able to leave Glasgow. It's really nice. Yeah. It's really great. That is true. Oh. We're like prisoners. Yeah, I can leave. Yeah, I'm going to London tomorrow. I'm like, yes. Oh, um, so not to rub it in or anything, but I did watch <laughs> Gracie's Instagram, like most of last year, like, fuck you. <laughs> I know yeah, we, we were, were so lucky like we you know the COVID was not bad and then I went up to Byron to shoot my first feature and there was just no such thing as COVID up there and I was on the last day there was like a few cases and people bought out masks like we went up there with masks on and then they said oh no no masks anymore and we all were just like we got so quickly used to that everyone's hugging kissing just you know having time of their lives summer like on the beach shooting a movie or like whatever the world now we're like oh no 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 
please, please, God, don't take the COVID to Sydney. <laughs> um, I don't believe in God, but anyway. Yeah, whoever, whatever, whatever's happening up there, but it's fine. So, or down there, somebody needs to sort of. I just thought you were in a video game and someone's just gone, all right, got this like little bug everyone's going to get. And then, a, you know, a few people are like, all right, I quit. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to bring the super bug. And it's like, when have we got, when are we getting to the big, like, person, the big You're person? You're thinking of it like Super Mario, like levels. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. where's the big boss? Is Delta Plus the big yeah. boss or is Delta Plus just like level one? Yeah. It's actually how we played under the, we had two methods with under the volcano. One, we, we spoke about all of the guys we wanted to get in terms of a, a deck of cards. So we had like the ace, like, was, was Elton an ace or Stevie? Yeah, he was there. and he moved to a two of hearts. Yeah, we've probably ended up with the two. But then we were also thinking of it in terms of video games. So, like, things would happen to us where we'd go to try and get one of the famous guys and they would say no. And we'd say it would like, be like losing a life. Like, we'd be like, we're not out of the game. Or we've just lost a life. I would get to the next yeah. get to the next level. Um, and then COVID just wiped us out. It'd be like your battery's dying on your Game Boy or something and being like, well, there goes the whole game. <laughs> yeah, but you pushed through and made it a great film. So, you know. And they're going to be raging that they weren't in it. Totally. Hopefully. I had a sad moment when I was in Paris. We went over to Paris in February just before lockdown. And I, long story, had hung out with Mick Jagger once in, in Cannes and I knew his person that he works with or something anyway. And I'd randomly met some guy who was a poet and knew this guy was a poet. And Texan they was he was like, oh, yeah, the Stones are here. We're here just recording an album. And I was like we needed the Rolling Stones to the film and I was trying to like, oh, we should hang out or whatever. And on the last day I was having lunch with my friend in Paris and was sitting, and it was freezing, but it was like heaters on in this restaurant and, it, and Mick Jagger walked past and he had the Nikes on and it took me seven seconds to go, oh my God, there he is. I'm going to just run over and be like, hey, remember me? Sit down, we need to do an interview. And then it just got, but at the time I was like, I don't want the French restaurant to think I'm not going to pay the bill. So then in my jacket and I was like, do I run? And like, it was just, and my friend, who was there from China was like, it's, he just, there he was. And I was like, I, I honestly didn't even believe that it was him for about a day. And then I started Googling his shoes and I was like, those were his Nikes. And he was in Paris and, you know, sad yeah, story. I, I'd have been the same. Is it him? Is it not? Fuck. It's him. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, like, as I say, I think they'll be really gutted that they're not in it because you're having really great reaction to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been really great. It. Yeah, just yeah. good because it's always scary when you make a film and you think you should just get a round of applause at the end because you finished it and you're like, oh, now a bunch of people on the internet are going to tell you what they think. And you're like, great. And quite a lot of people on the internet are dicks, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we found that. No, but everyone everyone seems to be responding to it really well. I think, I wonder if it's because, you know, the film is a celebration of the creative process. Essentially, we weren't trying to go into anything like salacious. And there was a lot of stuff that happened on Montserrat that's not in the film with, you know, Eric Clapton had a, um, a daughter down there. And just, there was so much stuff that we didn't even go into because we didn't feel like it really spoke to the narrative of the film. So, you know, maybe that's why people like it. I don't know. Hopefully it continues. It's in the, um, comes out in the US in a week's time on the 17th so less than a week. So we'll see what the US audiences think of it then. I'm sure they're going to love it. I'm sure it's going to be great. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. And Gracie, you've got the Moth Effect just now, which is out on oh, yeah. Prime. It is. It's like, um, it's really fun. I got approached to do it at the start of the year and 
And for me, it was just, I'm always trying to do new things, directing. So it was an interesting format, sketch comedy, because it's like maybe five, six sketches per 30 minute episode. And so I directed it with Craig Anderson, who's a comedy director in Australia, but we did not together. We did half the sketches each. So he did the two weeks, I did two weeks. Um, and every day was a completely different day. Um, so one day it would be like Brian Brown, who's in a sketch called Queer Eye for the Conspiracy Guy, where he plays a, a guy who gets, <laughs> gets turned into a proud boy. Um, and then, you know, the next day it would be like a take on a Blade Runner thing. And, and Nick and Jazz, the creators, are just so funny. So it was just great to work with, like, comedians. And, like, I know, yeah, Miranda, my sister, did one. She didn't do the – hers is out this Friday, but – um. She didn't do the one. I, I didn't direct it, but it was her and David Wenham. Um, and I think everyone loved that because it was like, yeah, Nick and Jazz are kind of in a lot of the sketches and it's like group kind of ensemble. And their one is just a standalone, the two of them, um, about a pillow. And it's pretty funny. So, yeah, that was fun just to work with, yeah, a bunch of people and probably a nightmare for production design and costume every day. It's like, oh, now we're back in the Aztec times and now we're in the future. And I'm like, yeah, great. Bring in the sets. Um Yes, that was fun. So that's out on Amazon, I think, worldwide. But, yeah, dropping every week. So we're two eps, two eps in. I haven't started it because I'm very much into having a little binge. So I get episode three so that I can do that. I'm really bad for yeah. that. I've just binge-watched Hacks. I don't know if you've watched Same. it. Same. I just finished last night. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I, yeah. I, ep two, I was like, no, nah, should I continue? Then my sister and my mum were like, continue. And I was like, okay, I'm continuing. Then I got really into it. Um, yeah, and I've been watching a whole bunch of murder docs. Like, I feel like Cody and I'd be such great detectives that just trying to think if there's any, you know, I'm sure in Scotland there's a bunch of like good murder stories that, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, if there's there's quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> Same with uh, Australia, actually, but yeah, we just got to, we got to track them down. There's, uh, I mean, I don't know if you're into true crime podcasts, I am, but there's a whole bunch on us. Yeah. Yeah. We come up a lot in like my favorite murder. There was, they were talking about us the other day. They're like, God, there's some crazy people down in Australia. Yeah. So we do. Yeah. We're on the hunt for our next, our next subject. I actually also started watching, I just think Paris Hilton is so underrated and so intelligent. And I know people just be like, what? But I started watching her cooking show last night because I had a cooking, I have a cooking show called Breakfast with Gracie on YouTube. And I nearly did cut my finger off the other night with these new knives that I bought, but watching Paris Hilton in a white dress cut miniature tomatoes and call bacons, mini, mini bacons. It's actually, you know, she's made so, I mean, yes, she was rich, but she, you know, I just think she's so funny and so smart, but very light relief on Netflix. I started watching that last night, which I very much enjoyed. Great. I will add that to my watch list of uh, things to... <laughs> Very eclectic taste I've got. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I was like, I did see it come up and I was like, do I want to watch that? I was like, maybe I'll wait. I'll maybe watch it when I'm hungover. That might be a, a good hangover. You have to watch it for what it is. You know, you can't yeah, watch it. Yeah, judging. exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, there's no point. Um, kind of the final kind of question I'd love to ask both of you is what kind of challenges do you, have you found being a female in our industry or actually has it been just really easy for you? Um, I think, um, no, I, mean, I think it's... always thought that, like, oh, you go, you go, no, <laughs> no, me go, uh, yeah. Cody go, Cody uh, go, okay, um, I, yeah, Cody go, Cody go, <laughs> knew that was going to bound to happen at one stage of this, doing an interview together, um, I've always, I think it's always been challenging, I think there's definitely still challenges in the industry, um, 
at the moment, I think I had a quite a challenging time when I worked in LA. That was probably the hardest for me. Um, uh, the in, like, I just found the industry to be really misogynistic when I was living over there. And then since returning to Australia, you know, there's hints of it. I think it really depends on what industry that you're working within. I mean, we had so many conversations throughout making Under the Volcano of men who were trying to put their stamp on this film or work on this film. And it was, it was pretty appalling at times, I would say. Um, but, you know, within Australia, there is a lot of initiatives that the film industry is putting into place around like gender matters, which I think are making a huge difference. But I think for our industry here to get to a point where um, we can sort of really start to move through it, it's about not just thinking about initiatives. It's about, you know, what role models on screen behind camera, like it's, it's such like a holistic approach to trying to, to solve the issue. Um, I don't think we're there yet, but I reckon that I think Australia, I can't really talk to the rest of the world, but I think Australia is definitely making steps. Um, in the right direction at the moment. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, important as women. There was a talk I went to a while ago that I got really inspired at because this woman kind of got up to win an award and just said, I'm really great at what I do and I'm really proud I've won because I've worked so hard and was so, I think we always kind of have to do double the, double the amount of work to get half the recognition. Like remember when I first got signed to an ad agency, this ad agency turned me down and they were like, you know, we've got this guy like Trevor and he, he's made a short film. It's like I've made nine short films that have been at every international festival. So what's Trevor got on me? Um, so I do feel like sometimes it's like twice the amount of work to do to kind of get people to go, oh, right, yeah, they are, they're a director. Whereas, you know, and I think we also talk ourselves down. Like, and I do it constantly. Like I'll say, oh, you know, just working on that or, yeah, little thing here and, you know, and people will be like, no, say, like, you're doing this big show or you got that going on or... So I think, you know, we also have to get better at kind of just taking over and saying, you know, I've worked, you know, because people always say, oh, what's it like, you know, your breakthrough director or your up-and-coming director? And I'm like, I'm 34, so I've actually worked for, like, 17 years in the industry. So I'm not, like, yeah, I just started when I was young, so I'm quite seasoned. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just also like yeah being you know in, yeah empowering other women and having you know I try to always have a, a up-and-coming director on any kind of fashion ad or, or yeah ad I do through free the bid which just allows them you know in Australia it is that annoying stepping stone when I've kind of worked out the pathway was like to attach to another director and then shadow them on a tv show and then you might get an episode and then you've got one credit and then people will like look at you I was lucky that like I was about to shadow on a director and then they said that I was too experienced when I actually had no experience in TV and then I managed to fluke getting a whole show. So then it was like, oh, well, she can direct TV. And it's just like I think for me, for young directors, it's always that challenge of first getting those first runs on the board. And I always say like it's good to just go out and try every job, like even being a runner on something or in a production office if you want to be a director you'll meet other people and they'll say, oh, wow, she's really capable. We'll get her on this. Or and so many people I end up working with are people that I just notice on set when I'm like, who the fuck's that person? They're just like doing like 10 jobs. Like, you know, all people who are enthused. I always find when people email me and like I've actually, yeah, have a reason why they want to work with you or be like doing what you're doing. I always feel, um, yeah, a bit of kinship and wanting to help out when they're passionate. So, yeah. Yeah, it's really important that kind of lifting each other up and um, bringing people with us as we go is so it's so vital and um yeah the, the kind of being better at saying we're good at this it's yeah. so important um so Cody, Cody and I worked so hard I mean Cody worked for two years before I came on board on the film like 
we worked so hard on the film and such crazy hours and sometimes even yeah people who worked on the film with us it's like wouldn't have even understood the magnitude of the work or the stress that we took on and yeah and then you know sometimes we can always be quite blase like yeah yeah that yeah we did that and it's like you know all the stuff that you do at home by yourself that people don't notice you know totally um and I'm not just blowing smoke up your arse because you're on my podcast it's a really brilliant documentary really is is brilliant and um it's so well crafted it's so well put together like your storyline of it is brilliant because I think so many documentaries can start off so well and then we get kind of 40 minutes in you're like come on now but I really like yeah it's great everybody we can get it on Amazon in the UK and get it on Google. We're, we're ready and ready to go. So get watching Under the Volcano. And my last question for you both before we finish up. So we are called Persistent and Nasty. Um, the reason that we're called that is um, we took the quote about Elizabeth Warren, nevertheless, she persisted. And we are all about reclaiming words as well. So when Trump called Hillary nasty, a nasty woman, when she dared to give him some actual facts um there was a whole twitter thing that went on about well she's a nasty woman i'm a nasty woman the ceo of this and that so gracie otto cody greenwood what does persistent and nasty mean to you i was thinking of a word to reclaim i was like well, you, oh, oh you can also give me a word to reclaim no, I don't. <laughs> no word to reclaim well we're like one of the words that we reclaim is like bossy because that's always a criticism for girls especially when you're little or she's really bossy boys never get called bossy they get called driven and ambitious yeah (laughs) persistent i mean so i don't even i'm so such bad with grammar and vocabulary persistent someone who perseveres right that's just another word for persistent yeah. And nasty is like, I feel like, yeah, nasty can be seen as like she's got swagger. Do you know what that is? Is that a Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're like, do you know what that is? Do you know what that well, is? The word you said what today at the start of the podcast, I had no idea what that was. What was that word? What, what, what? The word that you wanted us to describe ourselves? Oh, pers- yeah, persistent and nasty. What does it mean to you? Like, what does that phrase inspire in you? What does it make you think of? I think persistence for me just reminds me of making like, a volcano because Gracie and I just would not. We, were, we had this refuse to lose attitude the whole way of making it. And I do think it's like to be a female in the industry, you have to be persistent as well. So I feel like for me that word's really intertwined with my work. And nasty, I agree with you. I feel like it's one of those words that over the years um, has sort of got those connotations. But it's kind of like one of those fierce words, I think, as well, that it'll probably end up, you know, hopefully hopefully changing. And I just love that. I love taking anything that Trump has tried to say <laughs> in offence to someone and turning it around. That just brings me so much joy. But, yeah, I think hopefully it will become aligned with words like fierce. And that's definitely... Also female filmmakers. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Cody said it so well. She did. <laughs> so we, you know. we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you both so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. It was so great to talk to you both and for giving up your your Wednesday evening. For me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, as always, lovely listeners, take care. And until next time, stay nasty.